Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hi. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And this is our last episode of 2020. What a year it's been. And we are ending on, uh, personally, a really high note for me, because I love this CD and have for 20 years. So... Um, it's one really high note and then some other low notes and then maybe some like atmospheric rust and some rattling. But there <laughs> is true. definitely a high one note. Very There's high certainly note. one high note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, we're talking about MSBR and Blazing E Sharp's Mass for Dead Insects, but we're not talking about that yet because I bet the Connollys have been listening to something other than this disc. We sure have, but it's certainly been in the zone of this disc, and I think it's partly the time of year, the dark, the early darkness of the days, Mm -hmm. and so it's been a lot of sounds in the same arena as Mass for Dead Insects. And one project that we've really gotten into in the past week or two has been actually Tara. Let's go ahead and have you pronounce it, please. My roar tree. Wow, I like that you added the little <laughs> R roll. I didn't expect that. Got that rolling I, R there. I didn't expect it either. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm impressed. Uh, my roar tree. A it tree. means major three. Yes, and it is a trio headed up by the man behind Drone Records. And the CD language of... Flames and sound. Thank you. Also, The Beauty of Sadness. Oh, such incredible albums. And the project was recommended by a listener and friend of the podcast who had a feeling that this would be up our alley. And boy, that feeling was right spot on. It is exactly right. And we we listened to Language of Flames and Sound, I think, three times yesterday. That was great. It's so great. in this great brain-shaped package on Old Europa. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's such a strange-looking CD. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a brain-shaped package. It's not shaped, well, it is a die-cut flat. It's oh, right. not necessarily yes. oh, like, like 3D, a big right. gloopy brain. Well, it's not like CD Fraction of it. Silence 3D. <laughs> right, right, right. I, that would be really cool. Right. We're going to have to do that, too. Yeah. Really, really incredible, as is Beauty of Sadness. And we're just kind of flying through the discography of stuff we are finding on Bandcamp and picking up old releases. Mm -hmm. So definitely, you know, the Connollys like to get into a zone. And it's already happening. We're already in a mayor tree zone. So I mean, I think those those titles really sum it up like beautifully. The Beauty of Sadness, the Language of Flame and Sound. Yep, that's exactly what they sound like, yeah. and, and that's the mood I want. Uh, yeah, ambient dreams is one. Mm. Ultimate time. Just yes. I'm so so into this project Sold. right now. They so were f- thank you. They were a fairly early favorite for me, and uh, they la- they later went on to become Troom. I don't know what the, exactly the yeah. membership la- change was or anything. Right. I mean, I know it's the 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 guy behind Drone. Yeah, is uh, part of Troom, and yeah. Uh, all of it that I've heard is good. I think, uh, well, any of listeners of the, any of our Patreon subscribers will know that we've done a lot of drone seven inches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it's a great seven inch label. And 
Uh, I do believe that I have the uh, first Meror Tree 7-inch, so maybe we'll cover that one. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Definitely looking forward to that. Thank you, friend of the podcast, for that recommendation. And in a still similar arena related to the Death Odors episode Hmm. that we've, we've really been exploring a lot of the bands on that just got so... Really enjoyed doing that episode with with Petrus and the Dyson Satan Metaphora album has just been nonstop mm-hmm. over here since that episode, and that one's so great. Do you know that one, Gray? I'm I sure don't. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You got it's it, it's really cool. It is actually available on Bandcamp, so of course we're gonna have a link. So go support. Fantastic. The artist and label directly. It is. Oh, dude! I mean, because the, the track on Death Order is actually on. I think I think the, the version that's on Bandcamp it's an extra track. It's not on the. I don't think it's on the original release. But oh man, it's just just a perfect repeat listening album. So it's right up your alley, Gray. I th- I think it's right up all our alleys. So oh, yeah. I will. Those three albums specifically have been getting a lot of play around here. So. That has been the zone we've been in, which matches right up with Master Dead Insects. So, what about you, Mister Holger? Wow, couple couple things. Uh, the Death Machine found noises CD uh, again, directly related to the Death Odors episode, and uh, talking to Petrus. Really great disc from uh, Mikhail Svensson, and uh, what you expect. I mean, part of uh, Mega Terra, so no. I don't think any surprises there. It's just good, atmospheric, ambient, industrial. Uh, Gray Wolves Red Terror Black Terror tape sent to me uh, by David Padbury. So thank you very much. Very, (laughs) very sick. So cool. Unexpectedly uh, managed to track that one down through him, which is really cool. I've been kind of listening to a lot of older gray wolves stuff, but of course a lot of it is very hard to find that that special blend they have of just all of the styles and sounds coupled with their production. It such a special project to me. It's always, it's also confusing because they did so many different versions of a lot of the tapes on and had a number of different imprints. So, so it can be, I yeah. really enjoy the mystery of their discography. Uh, this was an Artemen edition, which was like Padbury's old label in the early 80s. And I, I don't see this one on any uh, internet sites or anything. Like there's no, the cover art for this one is not one you can go find online, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, and another tape. Miguel Ruiz and Francisco Lopez, Rumor de Materia, Volume 1. Just, I mean, we we have sung Lopez enough praises. I am actually not super familiar with Miguel Ruiz's work, but this side is awesome. And uh, just someone had asked uh, favorite quiet noise tape or best quiet noise tape, and this came to mind, so I popped it on, and it, it just holds up entirely. And it's Sick. man, you know, I got a I got a nice stack of like older Lopez tapes around here, and you do you have a you, yes, you it's have impressive. more than I've seen anyone have actually. It's jealousy inducing. There you go. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. No, uh, <laughs> and I'll say a lot of this stuff, especially coming out of Spain, 
back then. Wow, it all looks so cool and unique. There's such like sort of anomalies uh, in the construction and the style of them. And like, I love this one. Like the info is on uh, another sheet of paper cut and pasted inside the flap. And mm-hmm. the the actual fold on the thing is very, very small. Like not, it's not a full uh, second fold over, so you can kind of see under it, and it's got you know numbered with a it's kind of numbering stamp. It's it just looks really cool, and there's a second uh, rumored materia tape out there too. Um, and I was reminded of I actually didn't throw them on, but those uh, audio tour tapes that were being done around then, like I have a couple of those too, like just walking around a large city, recording the sounds. I think that's a really cool idea. That. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I like when it's presented in a in a very noise context. Like it's that's it's done by these these artists and I feel like I don't know how it would go over if someone was doing it now, but it would be an interesting thing to me. Definitely. And uh I I'm going to say one thing I've been listening to a ton is Mass for Dead Insects. I have just kept throwing it on. It's been stuck in the CD player in the studio, so anytime I'm doing any sort of work on projects or, you know, assembling stuff, it's playing and it's one that has been with me for a long time. And so I, I know it very well, but of course digging in like this, it's a different thing than putting it on when you're doing something else. So really psyched to get into this one. It's an incredible album. And we did the blazing sharp, Gerber seven inch on our seven inch Sunday Patreon series a month or two back. And it was just decided right then we're going to, we're going to do this album quickly. And it Mm -hmm. turns out it's a cool way to end the year. Now, great. Tell us about your relationship with this album. I I bought this. I've mentioned numerous times from uh, Davin Brainerd. Uh, from Princess Dragon Mom and Time Stereo when he was working at Record Collector in Livonia, where MSBR played in that record store along with Government Alpha. Uh, and he was, of course, a huge conduit through with Koji and, and Akafumi. He's the one that brought Aob over and I uh, got to see Aob yeah. play in the, you know, in the early 2000s at C-Pop. Uh, this CD looks amazing. I, I have the special edition of 50 that Koji released you know, with his artist copies, he repackaged them in these five inch reel boxes, but it's covered in tissue paper, uh, paper towel, something like that. That's then been painted black and gray and it has a silver and black stickers on it. Uh, this hexagonal mass for dead insects sticker with a butterfly on it. And it looks so cool and unlike anything else, certainly that I had seen at the time, it's like handmade but professional and very tactile. You can feel the, you know, it's got like a paper towel consistency to it and it's all glued on and folded under. So it's, it feels very delicate, but it's also glued on like an actual box of something. So it feels sturdy in that regard. And there's a nice like Japanese art paper in there and uh, it's signed and numbered by Koji. And there's a little sticker with the uh, release info in there. So I don't have, the regular editions, there's two other editions. There's an art paper edition and sort of a foldover edition of it. Um, but this, I got this 99 
maybe. Uh, Would you have gotten it after his shows there? Do you think I might have gotten it before? Because I was maybe before, like yeah. that MSBR Pure CD and Collapse Land were also bought at this same store. Really think about that—a store you could buy all these at. And the Intensification oh, so 10 sick. Inch was got mm. there too, but I didn't buy it. Uh, a friend did, and I traded it off of him later. Nice, good style. I agree. <laughs> so. Yeah, I can't say for certain, but I feel like I got this before that show. It's been one of my favorite discs for a long time. It's a different side of MSBR than I think most people are used to hearing. Not that he ever stuck to one sort of specific sound. I think his harsh works are pretty pretty discernible and different. Like we could talk Metal Stricken Terror, we can talk Ultimate Ambience, or we can talk the Final Harsh Works series. Like they all have different vibes, you know, Structured Suicide and Supplement, like any of these tapes. There's a distinct MSBRness to them, but I don't. It doesn't feel like the other Japanese noise always, and it doesn't feel. Doesn't always feel like uh, in the same zone. Like he, he does move through different styles. I mm-hmm. totally agree. I think MSBR is a very interesting project that has gone many different places. Now, were you surprised? Do you or do you recall being surprised when you first heard this? I, I I was hearing so. I mean, this was the late '90s, so I was really starting to dig into noise and having found a record store that was carrying it with a knowledgeable employee who loved the stuff and was importing it and trading with it and knew these artists. I, I was hearing so much new stuff. Like I heard uh, John Duncan, The Crucible, there before you know before I had seen him in the, that live performance and and interact like uh, and interactive piece uh it was it was a real eye-opening time for sort of not having to mail order stuff but just going to a store and finding and then i started learning more and more what to look for so this i i I would say it was surprising but the thing that i remember that struck me most is just how much i liked it because i hadn't heard these sort of sounds put in this in this sort of arrangement and the the disc definitely has a vibe uh, especially you know it's split between collaborative pieces and solo pieces which i think is really interesting although i have to believe that some of the msbr solo pieces they sound like there's blazing and sharp material in it like there are distinct things that i think of with that project although i'm not that versed in that project unfortunately and i think that needs to change but i i think uh I just continually listened to this one because like at the time, you know, I was listening to a lot of Daniel Menchie and, and just getting like, it was more dark textural stuff. And compared to the MSBR stuff that I had heard, this was a, a quite a departure. It looks similar though. Like Collapse Land is black and silver. The Pure series is like black and gray with a sil- you know, silver and black disc uh, intensifications in a silver box with black lettering on it. So if you look at that stuff, and those are the MSBR things you're exposed to. Black and silver is like actually a way that I kind of had really identified with this project. So it made sense because everything else sort of had that that look to it that was available to me at that time. But but had you the, most of the MSBR stuff you had heard prior would have been in the harsh harsher stuff. Yeah, absolutely yeah. harsher, longer form. And I admittedly wasn't listening to a lot of like electroacoustic. Music and of course, Blazing and Sharp definitely have more of that bend of field recording, prepared sound recordings, uh, and acoustic sources. And so, the mixture of that and noise really, really spoke to me. This is, I think, one of the most important CDs that I ever bought. 
uh, both in the, the looks of it and the sound of it and how much it has influenced the type of noise I like and desire to make. And so for that, I'm, I'm really thankful for it. And it's like, this is a really a record that's always been held in high esteem by me from like day one. It was just, wow. And still in 2020, it's still, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's, uh, that's staying power. I mean, I think early on, you mentioned this on an episode and I know a couple of people were like, Whoa, I, I, I got to get that. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I listened to it because of the title. Well, the title is amazing. It's awesome. Mass so for dead it. insects. And a lot of the titles on this sermon. Yeah, they're phenomenal. And I think that this is just another testament of the wide range of things that Koji Tano could appreciate and adapt to, um, especially sonically. And I did take this opportunity to go to the Wayback Machine. You know Tara went to that Wayback Machine. What he said, you know, just just simple, you know, the, the specs laid out. He says, this CD is handmade pack edition by MSBR, a mixture of metal noise by Blazony Sharp and Electro Effect by MSBR atmospheric noise darkness and you know what those there three words describe it perfectly atmospheric noise darkness sums koji it up sum, koji summed it up <laughs> it was that is what this cd is and it is absolutely stellar again you heard what our recent listening was this is just right mm-hmm. in the pocket in there yeah and this cd just starts with that open empty atmosphere with a collaborative track titled Flax Back Spit. Yeah, the, the metal sounds really just start here and don't end until the record's mm-hmm. over. Well, I love that this is a collaboration and it has a, a lot of the collaboration tracks on this have this sort of heavily reverbed metal, but also like phased atmosphere so things are slowly shifting and sort of strafing around the stereo field and on this one even there's sort of almost a a gentle drum-like background like someone very softly playing like a floor tom or something that's that's i don't know how to describe it it's this weird sort of bassy sound that it feels impromptu it doesn't feel it's not they're not playing a rhythm but they are playing like little motifs or something around it but it's it might not be that at all it could just be someone tapping on something but it's very gentle in the scope of this whole thing which is this you know just weird shifting atmosphere and and one of the things you hear on this and a lot on this is is like tiny a lot of tiny metal a lot of metal pieces glass Stuff being moved around, some strings being bowed or scraped or just drug along the floor. (laughs) Well, this certainly has that room feel, and I think many of the tracks do. It's not just like outdoors. It's it's, It's um, inside. An enclosed inside space. And it's certainly like hollow, metallic, and I was even thinking like extraterrestrial ghosts. It has that feel for sure. And I think you probably were thinking extraterrestrial, Tara, because what is the title a reference to? Flaxback spit refers to something in a Philip K. Dick novel in the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. It was the name 
that somebody called their hovel on Mars when they went to take candy. So it could be, you know, a Philip K. Dick candy Martian drug reference or just some sort of colloquialism that he invented for himself. But that is flaxback spit. Wow. I love Philip K. Dick and mm-hmm. I love MSPR and the CD and I had no idea. And I've read Three Stigmata. It's been some years, but yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. It's been so long. And we I'm all sh- went through that I'm zone sh- together. Like, I think we were all just like buying every Philip K. Dick book and trading them and reading. But them also, I think I can't remember if it's been mentioned on the podcast. It probably has. But I was my main Philip K. Dick zone. And honestly, I haven't really gone back since the zone, but it was when I worked at a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was working at overnight at a mental hospital and I would read Philip K. Dick while I was the overnight shift we had to you basically my job would be to sit outside the door of a patient if they were on close watch or whatever. So I would sit there outside the door reading Philip K. Dick at three in the morning at a mental hospital. So I, it's honestly, I don't think I've really gone back because I don't know if there's a better setting to read Philip K. Yeah, Dick than once that. Once you've done that. Right. Once you've done that, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if I can do it any other way. I After know, this our, might be a good time. I think it's a great frame of mind to get into with this track. Absolutely. No question. The next track title, Gray Zone, also feels like it could be a Philip K. Dick reference, to be honest. Did you look, did you get a reference to that one, Tara? Uh, I, I did look up Gray Zone. I, I didn't find anything I mean, I think that it's, it's referring multiple. to specifically. But yeah, so we got Gray Zone, and this is a MSBR solo track. The rattling in the cage, the small engine is churning. What a cool, weird track. Yeah, I was just like, what is this? Is this a generator that's running a workshop? It's certainly a junkyard car that like you get into and you're surprised that it actually starts. I'm not saying that it's run by scarecrows, but I'm not saying that it's not run it by scarecrows. It might be run by scarecrows. It, it could potentially I mean, could be that cursed scarecrow from that, Megaptera. Is that what we call a straw man special? <laughs> That's coming up later, ah. but it might be. <laughs> well, maybe the scarecrows. Maybe maybe they're not working on the corbies, and they're dropping off little bits of glass and metal over by the engine because that's what I hear right. on this one. There is a fluttering <laughs> right. engine sound that runs on this thing, but there's also there's some metal scraping, but it's very restrained. It's not. It doesn't overpower ever. It's these tiny, like discreet metal scraping sounds. And there's some nice delay on this and this sort of this has that stereo phased like weird sort of things happening across your stereo field, maybe with the single single repeat on a delay. So it like kind of happens in front and then a little bit to the left of you or something. And it's it creates a nice stereo field. But then that engine speeds up partway through it. That that thing pitches up and gets into higher gear and it takes the atmosphere with it. And it almost becomes an alarm that's ringing towards the latter end mm-hmm. of the piece. And you still hear this, this rustling. And, and I really mean, I've used that word a lot to sort of describe this, but it actually sounds like they're dumping out leaves and, and small stones on something. It's recorded really nicely. Like you said, it sounds like it's in a room. You get the physicality. That's the one thing about all of these sounds and all of these smaller metal sounds and louder scrapes and dragging and stuff is that you get a sense of the space when you're hearing it. It's not a 
contact mic thing where you're hearing the the scraping on that and that's you know it's through it, it all has atmosphere and presence that is not just it's close mic that's not uh directly like mic'd with a contact They're mic organic. or something it's very organic sound uh, I just love it. I think it's a really interesting technique, and I think that's one of the ways that Blazin and Sharp work a lot. And so I, that's why I attribute these sounds to them, even though this says it's an MSBR solo track, according to the credits. But it, I don't hear any of this more minuscule sound than any of his other work. And I don't think we discussed who Blazin and Sharp is yet. Well, Tara, who is Blazin and Sharp? We have Chris Blazin, he's an Italian man, and John Sharp, uh, hailing from the U.S., and he also runs Genderless Kibbutz. Yes, and uh, John Sharp, R.I.P., passed away a few years ago, Mm -hmm. and yes, did run the Genderless Kibbutz label that the regular edition is on. And And I love the regular edition because the cover is um, a sea of aphids. Uh, So ours is... Uh, bright green and you just get that you know mass for dead insects and it's absolutely infested in aphids that's right and Tara has had multiple battles with aphids is this correct Tara I have a love hate relationship with aphids I respect them they're really weird Um, did you know that ants actually farm aphids uh, they they use them like cattle. It's weird. Ants have even domesticated aphids to a point where they have one special um, sack that holds their honeydew so that ants can milk them. And they've been known to bite off their wings so they can't fly away and call the ones that they don't like and keep the ones that they do. And they carry them around from plant to plant. Um, aphids uh, eat the nectar off of like young sprouting plants so it's very frustrating when you're trying to grow a new plant and the aphids all your new shoots are just eaten alive by aphids Uh, and especially they loved my rose bushes in Michigan and it was a constant battle with aphids. So Tara has had multiple masses for dead insects yes specifically the aphids that are on this cover. And the ants that bring them back you get rid of the aphids and the ants will just trot a whole new herd right under your plant. It's wild. It's a wild place, this world. Yes. And Blazing E Sharp will be responsible for our next track. Ibasi Fondi. Nice. Uh, and that is uh, a reference to the to the slums, Ibasi Fondi. Um, and I think that it's a specific reference to this Kurosawa movie from 1957. Uh, it's called The Lower Depths in English, but in Italian it was Ibasi Fondi. And I would have to assume that they were doing an Italian-Japanese connection mm. reference. And it even makes more title. sense that it's based on a play written by Gorky. Um, so it all right. just kind of comes together. Right. So we open the window and there's a strange light coming in. And then we begin floating in that unnatural atmosphere. And here's a track that is criminally short at just over three minutes, but yep. could have... Definitely been one of the longer tracks on the album. I love it, this track. It, it captures some of the atmosphere of Flaxback Spit, but it's a different beast. And it, it has that same kind of ringing atmosphere to it, that cyclic metal sort of... 
I don't I don't know how else to describe it really. And you get that on a good few of these tracks. It's the blazing in sharp way, I think. And it has more of that sort of gentle phasing too, where everything is just sort of like it has movement in the action that's happening, but then there's a greater, gentler movement over the course of the piece because of these shifts in tone. And I I really like that. At one point it made me think of um you're sitting in darkness and then you can hear a toad, you know, like if you're by some water and, and you don't really know what it is initially. And then it kind of creeps in, uh, definitely reminded me of a toad pond. Oh, I love that. Yeah. This track is, is fantastic. And, and just like you're saying, great, it's almost hard to really distinguish between the collaborative. And I think it's probably on purpose in the way this album is set up. And it flows so nicely. It's it's yeah. it's so organic and natural feeling in terms of what's happening sonically. It's almost as though it's telling this abstract story. Yeah, and the way it's even listed on the on the album, you know, obviously we're doing it and making sure we know which ones are the collab, which ones are the solo, etc. But the way it's listed, it's not an easy you 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 would you'd have you have to it's not like each track is laid out like this is the MSBR track. It says mm-hmm. it in the credits, but you yeah. still have to go back and apply it. And so I don't think it's even that important to do that because I think it plays as one whole thing. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with that. This is a cohesive piece of nine tracks, 66-ish minutes long, I want to say. And it doesn't. when you put it on, it doesn't matter who did what track. This thing fits together like a puzzle just perfectly every piece in place and there's not a there's not a bad track on it so i would say that they are like ants that are farming the perfect aphids together to make this lovely album oh, i love that it's exactly what's happening it's exactly what happens when we get to the straw man special aka when a scarecrow is running your generator I think these two pieces here, Straw Man Special and Balungan, are my favorites. And this one has that nice scraping, cyclic, phasing thing going on still, but there's these sort of bass swells. And this one really builds from underneath in such a such an interesting way and such a like nicely developed way. And it has these uh, sort of... It reminds me of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's uh, there's that on the, the DVD like reissue thing or whatever that came out many years ago and, and probably hopefully other editions. There's a, a props video that's yes. got unused and f- like sounds and sound effects from the movie while showing you like chicken bones and all these pieces, mm-hmm. you know, these different sculptures the, they made the, for it. Yeah. The way they did the room when he's walking around with yeah. the, and the feathers on the floor. Yeah. Exactly. And it's really it's really awesome thing to to watch but all the sounds in it are great and that sort of camera snap sound from the intro to that like that. I mean it's one of the, it's one of the greatest soundtracks of all time that Agreed. actually the the master tapes were never saved. Ugh. And so there's never actually been a proper issue of the soundtrack. Just tape the movie. That's, well, exactly. You can just Well, we've to definitely the movie. done we've that. We've certainly done that. <laughs> sure, on a cassette. Actually, someone else did that as well. Yeah, yeah. But the <laughs> this is but I totally know what you're saying. This absolutely has a Texas Chainsaw soundtrack 
atmosphere to it. I actually hadn't thought of it until you said that. And once you yeah. said it, I'm like, oh my God, how didn't I think of that when I was listening to this? This is because to me, this track is unnatural field recordings. It's field recordings of things that don't exist. Oh my God. I said it's like um, an ominous cloud of robotic locusts approaching. Excellent. So that would be an unnatural field recording. That would be an unnatural field recording. I got cicadas written down with it. It's not quite yes. that, but that was my closest uh, approximation here. I was still thinking Philip K. Dick style. So, you know, like whatever type of um, invasive pest you would have in a, an extraterrestrial landscape. It, it has a feeling of fam- familiarity, but without knowing what that thing that you're familiar is. So so it's this thing I talk I Tara and I actually have been talking about with this specific drink that we've been enjoying in these past two weeks, uh Frenet Branca, which is actually an Italian liqueur. Yeah. It has this very distinct taste that gives us this overwhelming sense of nostalgia but it's a nostalgia for something that never existed because we don't know when we would have had these flavors in our mouth. Especially it, as a youth. Correct. But it somehow brings you back to almost like being five or six years old or something yeah. like that. It's one of the most... I for na- Actually, Tara, will you say the name well, of the Well, I, I think people say for net. Um, for Net Branca, and it's got um, the myrrh. I was looking at the list of ingredients to see like what it was, like you know, coffee, licorice root, myrrh, grape skins. Like it's just you know one of those liqueurs that have, or liquors actually that have just you know dozens and dozens of wild ingredients. And I I don't know what it would be, but something just takes you to a place. Um, at yeah, it, it tastes like an ancient recipe for sure. It's incredible. And this track has a very similar feeling. To I feel like it's a, it's probably the best known Amaro. And I think that that being like six, maybe a little older feeling you get is like locker room, gym socks, miserable. <laughs> I totally, I don't agree. I a hundred percent disagree with that. I drink, That's actually in no way. I love Amaro. Like I yeah. drink other Amaros. Um, yeah, no, and, it's, and, it, and some of them are even challenging for the, the bitterness that I enjoy. Um, but I, I never found this to be a challenging flavor. Not at all. No, it, it's, it's actually, it actually takes us to very wholesome, sweet place, very pleasant feelings. But again, it's not, it's indescribable because I would have never had this taste. I would have never had these smells when I was young. So there's no, it's not real and it's not a real thing, but it still brings this very strong sense, uh, an overwhelming sense of calmness when we drink Mm -hmm. it. And I, and I find it to be very similar to this track. This brings that strange nostalgia for something that never existed out and i like i love when music i love when anything can Mm -hmm. do that yeah and i think this really does that one of the things i really feel in this track is this this a lot of the sounds are delicate and and but still loud enough but they're also distant they're on the horizon so that might be that nostalgia that's not there is like you can't quite figure out what it is. These sounds are familiar, but they're not. They're 
they're loud enough to discern, but they're too far away to properly identify. You know, it's it's uh, seeing someone approaching on the horizon or something. It's really it is a, a very well put together track. And the Straw Man special, what a cool title. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we can talk about the scarecrow running the engine or, of course, the idea of a straw man argument. If attacking the straw man, if anyone's been. On the internet at all this year, you've seen a straw man argument. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this next then, track, Belungan. I, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Tara, how did you find this to be pronounced? It's Javanese, and so it was very difficult to pronounce. It's Belungan. <laughs> it's it, a very weird sound. And Tara, what is it a it, reference it to? It literally means bones in Javanese, but it's it's basically what it's saying is it's the outline of a core melody of um, a, a gamelan composition. So a Javanese gamelan composition, the melody of it. Uh, this is has that creaking and weird strings and the... <sighs> Little little bits of like musical, like slightly musical elements in here, so far out of their element that they're not musical because it's not a melody and it's not anything, but it's like the playing of a single note or like uh you know like t- tuning a cello kind of like little sounds. That has and a this cello d- credit, <laughs> and this does have cello on it. Yeah, this has that Texas Chainsaw Massacre feeling to it, but. It immediately reminded me of one sort of classic piece of music concrete, which is uh, Pierre Henry's Variations for a Door and a Sigh, which I actually listened to because of this, which is just a tape assemblage of a creaking door and mm. a sigh. And which I mean, this is this is to me was a wandering yeah. in a room, entering, re-entering, re-exiting, exiting. Over and over and over again. And so I absolutely see how you made that connection. Mm-hmm. It is possibly the most minimal track on this Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. You don't think Nightcrawler 1 is? You know what? You might be right. The next track, Nightcrawler 1, the MSB, another MSBR solo track, It's. I would say it's... One of these, they're very minimal. This though, Nightcrawler one has that quiet synth stagger. So, so now we're you. It's I think you. It's a recognizable sound now. You you hear the synth. Yeah, but it's it's not. It's weird because it's that it's sort of gurgling and re-triggering. Mm-hmm. It's not staying steady. It's not a steady synth growl. Right, it's, right, right. It's got like a pulse width modulation on it or something that's that's moving it. it it has a kind of a definitive attack on it where you can hear it sort of re-trigger whatever sound or whatever envelope is on it so it kind of feels like it's something being hit or struck and i would attribute that to the the synthesizer that koji used there's all like these i thought of them as radio metals like someone who was playing some scrap metal across the radio and he tuned into that transmission and is using that and but that's sort of a looped thing too and it's got a little bit of that whining metal to it but the bass the bass element that just sort of keeps going and changing a little bit and feeling like it re-triggers is really a powerful thing and nightcrawler is a great song title and also 
there's a fantastic Patrick Cowley song called Nightcrawler on the School Days set. So uh, it does not sound like this, but it does have some nice groovy bass on it too. You should listen to that. The atmosphere I got from this track was that a light that is only generated by glowing insects and stars. So it's just a darkness with these glowing unnatural colors that insects can give off and then the stars above it. A little bioluminescence. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I only thought of tunneling and darkness, but it could also be the title Nightcrawler because nightcrawlers are another name for um, big, fat, juicy earthworms. And this only made me think of one thing and the entire track, that's all I could think of. And that is worm grunting. Do you know what worm grunting is? Anybody? I do because you played it for me. So, <laughs> yes, I totally know what worm grunting is. Uh, nope. So worm grunting is this thing that is, um, you know, uh, where you take a, a a stick with notches on it and you rub it against a metal plate on top of the ground. And when you do it, it reverberates the soil and all of the earthworms come to the top of the oh, ground. Oh, I do know about this. Yes. This is how you get worms for fishing when I was younger. Yeah. So worm grunting is like a, a true little art form or worm whispering, if you will. Um, but truly the sound he was making reminded me of worm grunting. Cause it's that kind of, um, you know, consistent, um, notching reverberation and some say that it makes the worms think that a mole is coming their way and they're trying to get out of the way so they come to the top of the soil. Although that is just one theory of why um, worm grunting is effective. But this sounds like worm grunting to me. Sustained worm grunting. Wow. Do you think that any pretty blue foxes would want to eat those worms when they came up to the surface, Sarah? <laughs> Oh, I, you know, if they were feeling feeling frisky enough, they might. Do foxes eat worms? Is that a part of the fox diet? Or are foxes blue? Yes, so I think- actually, yes. One of the variation colors of a gray fox is known as a blue color. And in the Russian fox experiment that I love so much, that was like from 60 years ago, almost all of the domesticated foxes ended up blue. This is... Correct. So we're known as a pearl fox. This is something that actually has been covered over on our Patreon <laughs> home time series. But Tara, why don't you give a condensed version of these radioactive foxes? Because it's one not of the most ra- fascinating. No, not the radioactive. I'm, oh, not, sorry, I'm sorry, talking sorry. about a different fox sorry, experiment. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know about a lot of fox experiments. So you know what? Look, look at me. I I thought I knew because Tara knew. But you know what? That was a that was an that was experiment in the U.S. to make foxes. Uh, glow t- so that they would startle people in Japan and the I, the thought was that they would release them. This was during um, World War II and, and frighten um, the people of Japan because they had fox gods. Um, but but, this, but so what this is I'm different. discussing is a Siberian fox study where they wanted to see how long it took to domesticate foxes and it started about 60 years ago. They wanted to see if they could domesticate a fox and how long it would take. And it did not take very long, honestly. I think it was like seven generations. And weird things started to happen where the foxes had more juvenile features. They had a shorter nose. They had floppier ears, curlier tails. And they would do this by just breeding the gentle foxes. But the thing that I always loved about this study, and since I was a kid, I've always thought about this, is that what did they do with the mean foxes? Because they had these airplane hangers in Siberia where they would decide when they were young whether a fox was a nice fox that could be socialized or a mean fox. And 
then they would have an airplane hangar full of these mean foxes. Oh, man. Can you imagine being the person that had to like deal with the angry, pissed off, mean, asocial foxes? I heard fox sounds in this, though, because they make really wild sounds. The nice foxes bark like little dogs and they make these really weird purring dog-like sounds. But the mean foxes sound so much like this track. Wow. And some of them are blue? Um, the domesticated foxes, it was very strange. They started out using mostly silver foxes, but also red foxes. And by the end of the experiment, all of the domesticated foxes were, in fact, blue. Um, they don't know why the red, just in the domestication experiments, they generally were the gray blue foxes and not the red foxes. Wow. And you can actually buy these in Russia now and they can be house pets and they are trained to litter boxes. And I want one. Uh- <laughs> Please, listeners, do not send us a blue fox. We cannot handle that. I right would love now. that. Thank you so much. I will take care of this fox. Uh, he said, "Listeners," which means that I am free to send a fox. Oh no! Yes! And and our fearless leader, please do not send us a blue fox. But hey, you They're, can send us. People say they act like a cat, kind of like a cat dog. I like cats. I like dogs. I'd take a cat dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, cat you know, dog. look, you can't send us any animals, but you can send us this track because it's incredible. This track is phenomenal. All the collaborative tracks are, it's like you want to listen to them multiple times in a row because they are just so like nuanced. Like ever, like there's so many elements going on. You can find a favorite part each time you hear it. Gray, I see why you revisit this album frequently. Yeah, there's so much to pick through here, and so many different sounds and different sort of layers you can listen on. That it, it's an ever changing album over the course of owning it. And sometimes I might be in a mood for the harsher stuff, and sometimes I want might want more of the atmosphere, or more listen to more of the low end. And I just think that it's it's a very special piece of art and I love the idea of it's sort of a split, sort of a collaboration and it flows together so seamlessly and pretty blue Fox, pretty blue Fox is just a fantastic track. It's the most insectoid sounding. I think of the pieces to me, I hear uh, a lot of the metallic and, and insect ringing and fluttering, uh, and there's some cool, like, clangier elements that happen maybe a third of the way into this. This is a nine-minute piece, not the longest track, but uh, on the longer end, second longest piece on the thing. And it, I feel like we're moving into a, a subterranean cave here. We're, we're chasing a fox underground or something into a foxhole. Like, we're really... It just keeps progressing deeper and darker through this labyrinth. I don't. I, I can't say enough nice things about this piece. Like this one is also really good. Four, five, and seven really all lock together for me as as the when I think of this album, what I think of, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a reason. It's it truly is an incredible track, and nearing the conclusion, Tara. Please pronounce the title as best as you can. It's going to be better than myself or Gray. Intona Rumori. Nice. Uh, so, guys, we learn, we're learning another word for noise today. Um, rumoro is the Italian word for noise. Rumori is plural. Um, so, 
Intono Rumori is playing noises, and that is the name of the instrument built by Luigi Russolo. So this was discussed in his 1913 letter, Art of Noises. So it's a Russolo reference yet again. Yay. Exactly. And to me, this is rain in a rusty room. These are the most sort of microscopic sounds we get on this release, I think. Everything sounds really tiny next to sort of a Tibetan singing bowl or gong-like ringing and chiming. And I hear a mixture of steel and brass when I listen to this. That's that's just what it conjures in my mind is small pieces of broken metal. And I love it. (laughs) Maybe it's like a dripping cavern playing a gamelan. I love that. I think that that is a really nice descriptor for how this sounds, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm fully on board for that. The final track, we mentioned a high tone. We mentioned a high (laughs) note. Oh, boy. We're ending the year on a high note. And this is it. Figuratively, (laughs) literally, whatever those words mean anymore, which we are convinced those words don't mean the same thing. The literal meaning of literally, not the figurative meaning of literally. Right. We got a night tone riding over dead insects. This tone is, it's not just one tone is the thing. It's its layers and layers, it feels like, over and under around the main piece, just whatever effects are going on, it, it really stacks this sound. And there's still some of that metallic atmosphere we get on the other pieces sort of evolving and, and changing in the background. But the forefront of this piece is just that tone. And that tone goes for nine and a half minutes. Yeah, it does. It's like being blinded by a tone. It's a stalk. I was like, this is a stalking tone. This yeah. tone is stalking me. It's it's out to get you. <laughs> that is correct. And it's one of those where you move around, move in the room, going to walk into a rat behind the speakers, in front of the speakers. It's going to sound completely. I know. Different. I was like, Mike, you have to get up and walk around. Yeah, it sounds has that, crazy. It like has when that. you when you walk around the room, it it sounds like it's five different tones. Like you hear like so many different aspects to it. It's weird. And then it actually ends when the before the track itself ends, and then there's a seemingly a telephone conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't make heads or tails of this one. Well, I, I, you know, I did, I did run it through the old translator. I don't know what it actually says. Sometimes the things that translator says it, are more interesting than what's actually being said. So I'm, I'm assuming it's from a movie, but it just says, hi, is everything okay? Uh, say hi to Mario Carboni. Greetings to him too. Everything went okay. Next song for all those who are listening. Maybe someone who's saying say know. hello to Marco Corbelli. Oh, maybe it was Marco Corbelli. That'd be or cool. someone who's saying say hi to him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I, I don't know what they were saying. We and... attempted to translate it. but Yeah. I And also, not too heavily, because I was kind of enjoying preserving the mystery exactly. of the last one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very nice. And if you know this clip, please let us know. Exactly. Italians. Well, hey, what an incredible album. 
There's just no question. I'll never tire of it. Yeah. And there's a reason why, because it is just magnificent from start to finish. Thank you, Koji and Blazin and Sharp for this fantastic release. And patrons, tune in to our 7-Inch Sunday episode because we are going to discuss the MSVR Blazin E Sharp 7-Inch. So we're just knocking out their entire collaborative output here this week. Love so, it. Tune in on Sunday for that. Excited about that. And hey, that does it for this year for Noise Extra. Thank wow. you to all the listeners who have been going with us this whole year. As we will remind you, this is just the beginning. We have already have some great interviews lined up for the beginning of 2021. There is no end in sight for us. So this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as we are concerned for Noise Extra. So thank you so much to everyone for being a part of this with us. Absolutely. And if you made it this far into the episode and you're still listening and you got a little bit of time, you could go and uh, leave us like a rating or a review on your favorite podcast app. It would be appreciated. It will take you a second or two. And... It helps uh, the podcast get into more ears. We made some uh, some nice lists this year. Uh, so people are definitely catching on and listening, and we would like more people to listen because everyone should listen to noise. I thought you were going to say, then you deserve a treat. But if they did that, then definitely deserve a treat. <laughs> you deserve a Frenette Branca. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Or one of Grace's favorite Amaros. Or... <laughs> A fantastic gray cocktail that he will hand deliver to you no matter where you are in the world. He's just going to hop on a plane. He's like Santa cocktail. Yes. <laughs> that and is he'll just, not true. He, oh, it might be true. So, you Could know, if you're good boys and girls. If we wish hard enough. If you wish hard enough if we upon believe. a Christmas cocktail star, then Santa gray cocktail <laughs> claws will... Deliver his delicious cocktails directly to you. First, I have to deliver a fox and an ant farm to the Connollys, so I'll, those will be on the way. <laughs> oh my! You got, you got your work cut out for what you. What if I got the ants' aphids to play with? You, <laughs> I could watch them farm. I will go ahead and end this episode before we commit ourselves to a zoo in our home. So, thank you, everybody. Trophobiotic organ is the thing that they grow. Whoa. Because they're domesticated aphids. And hey, like everyone likes to say, we'll see you next year. Oh. Ooh. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise. <laughs>